listeners, and welcome to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we'll be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use disorders, resources to assist individuals with an SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This is our third episode of a six-month series, where we have the privilege of hearing the story of someone thriving in long-term recovery. Each episode, we will be speaking with a member of the COE about their journey and exploring the power of recovery. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Nell Hurley, a member of our peer-led steering committee. Nell has worked in the peer recovery space for over a decade and is an expert in developing vibrant recovery community organizations. She is passionate about recovery from addiction, fitness, and helping people meet their goals. Without further ado, let's get talking. Nell, thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to get to talk to you and hear your story. Where I'd like to start these episodes is just who you are and your role with our Center of Excellence. Great. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. Um, My name is Nell Hurley, and I'm a woman in long-term recovery. I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. My role with the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is as a member of the steering committee And the subgroup or the focus area that I am on is uh, building capacity for recovery community organizations. For those who aren't really familiar with recovery community organizations, and we like to call them RCOs for ease sake, do you want to talk a little bit about what they are and their importance? Sure. And maybe I will also talk a little bit about my professional background in the field of addiction recovery, because I started in this field uh, with a recovery community organization or an RCO. Um, An RCO is basically an independent grassroots nonprofit organization that is run and led by members of the local recovery community. So they, Mm -hmm. they exist to support and strengthen the recovery community and to bring, really to bring visibility to recovery and to the recovery community so that people who are seeking recovery, trying to either initiate recovery or, or maintain their recovery can find the support that they, that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, recovery community organizations generally do three things. Uh, advocacy, so, um, you know, advocating for policies that um, increase access to recovery, really. So advocacy work, and that includes the, you know, the visibility piece, just widening access. Um, But some of it might have to do with public policy as well. So advocating for recovery, bringing visibility to the recovery community. Education, and that includes both providing specific education around recovery, addiction and recovery issues. So they might provide like naloxone training or, um, you know, something specific like that. But it can also be just really general education, educating the general public around what it means to be in recovery. There's a lot of misunderstanding and stigma still around addiction recovery. So general education or education for the general public, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Recovery community organizations also provide services. Not all RCOs provide services, but um, some provide direct services, um, usually around peer support. So they might mm-hmm. train and 
supervise or coordinate um, recovery coaches or peer workers, peer recovery support specialists. There's different names for peer workers across the country. So they might provide peer workers, peer support um, in the form of like, you know, individuals working one-on-one with people or facilitating groups, or they might do telephone recovery support, um, that kind of thing. My background in in this field and kind of how I made my way into working with the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is that mm-hmm. back in 2010, I started working for Minnesota Recovery Connection, which was the first uh, recovery community organization in, in Minnesota. It's located in the Twin Cities. And I was hired as the founding executive director for MRC, Minnesota Recovery Connection, and uh, it's fun to look back <laughs> on my time at MRC. I my professional background before 2010 was in kind of in mostly in the nonprofit sector, but I worked in marketing and communications, um, mm-hmm. in education and museums. Um, I did spend a little bit of time in the private sector working for a software company. But in 2010, I made the jump to working in this field. And when I was hired at Minnesota Recovery Connection, or as I was going through that process, I didn't even know what an RCO was. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is, you know, this is a neat concept. Tell me, yeah. tell me more. And I was there for about five years. And oh my gosh, I I learned so much and I've never worked so much or so hard in my life. And it was completely, I was able to do it because I was so passionate about the work and it was just, it was so fulfilling and so rewarding and it was just great. We developed a um, recovery coach training. We um, did lots of different social events and we had a telephone recovery support program. We were doing advocacy work. We started a walk for recovery in Minnesota. We just, it was, um, it was pretty, a pretty incredible time in, in my work life. And it kind of really launched me in, into the field. I, when I left Minnesota Recovery Connection, I went to work for a treatment center, Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation, which is a large treatment provider. They have sites all across the country, but I was, I stayed in a non-clinical role. I stayed in recovery mm-hmm. management and um, worked in uh, alumni relations and um, another couple of programs that were built around continuing to provide support for people after treatment. So my passion really is about helping to build recovery communities, provide access to recovery and and help people help people not only root themselves in recovery, but to stay connected to the recovery community in an ongoing, in an ongoing long-term way. And that's been my personal experience. I've been in recovery mm-hmm. for over 23 years, and I still feel really connected to my local recovery community. And mm-hmm. it's just been so important to me. It's just been a huge, you know, huge part of my quality of life, I think, in recovery. Um, So anyway, I did that for Hazel and Betty Ford Foundation. I was there for about five years. And then I went from there to another kind of a recovery community organization. They don't really call themselves an RCO, but they they fit the definition, um, an organization called the Phoenix 
which Mm -hmm. is a national nonprofit organization based out of Denver, Colorado. Almost everything they do revolves around physical activity. Um, So they do hiking, biking, climbing, running, cycling, um, surfing, you know, all all kinds of things. And again, it's really about building recovery communities and um, helping Mm -hmm. people find a place where they can, you know, make positive social connections in, in recovery. The Phoenix is kind of branching out now to, to do things outside of fitness. And Mm -hmm. so they're doing like music stuff and art stuff. And it's kind of cool to see them expanding in that way. Yeah. I did that for a couple of years and now I am um, working with the peer recovery center of excellence, kind of getting back to my, my roots in the field and my, my passion for helping to, build and support recovery community organizations and, and recovery communities. So I'm really loving the work that I'm doing with Chris Kelly in Mm -hmm. in this little kind of slice of the peer recovery center of excellence. We've been able to talk to people already all over the country who work for recovery community organizations or who are, you know, volunteers or connected to RCOs. And it's just been so great to just kind of be a part of that energy again. Wow. Your resume is impressive and also sounds so fun. Do you want to talk a little more about the role an RCO can play in someone's recovery journey and you can speak about it personally or just in general? Yeah. So sometimes I talk about the role of an RCO using this analogy, I don't know if it, this analogy always totally works, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. I, I remember (laughs) when I first got into recovery. So I, I, Oh, where do I even start with my own recovery story? I I went to treatment for the first time when I was 19. And when I was, when I was in treatment, I, and that was a long time ago, over 30 years ago, I'm 51 now. So a long time ago, but I think there's a lot more young people in recovery nowadays that there, mm-hmm. than there, than there was back then. But even back then there were, there were other young people in, in recovery. But I just, I remember that when I was in treatment, I felt like my life was over. Like mm-hmm. I, here I was having to, you know, I grasped the concept of having like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't know. They told, that's what they told me when I was in treatment. And I, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I understand. Like, I'm not going to be able to figure out how to drink normally or, and that's kind of what I wanted. I just wanted to not be in so much internal pain around my drinking. Um, Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to give up my friends. I didn't want to give up parties. I didn't want to, you know, really change my life all that much. So I was in that you know, that sort of that conundrum that a lot of people right. who are entering recovery find themselves in, like, how am I going to do this? And how do I give up the good, the good parts of my substance use? Because there were good, mm-hmm. you know, there was a time when it really worked for me. And I did have fun at times. Um, yeah, that's fair. Well, yes. <laughs> so, and I remember feeling like, you know, my life is over. I'm never going to have fun again. I'm never going to be able to celebrate New Year's Eve or my birthday or, Mm. you know, Saturday nights or, you know, I'm just going to be so boring and I'm going to be sitting at home. And they told me 
that, oh, no, Nell, don't, you know, there's lots of fun to be had in the recovery and there's other young people and there's, you know, there's this incredible, you know, life waiting for you. And I don't know if they use the words, you know, there's this incredible recovery community, but that was basically the message. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry, it's out there. And I felt like I, di- I didn't really believe them. I thought, you know, I don't see it. I don't know anyone who doesn't drink. I don't see anyone. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But I, I hung in there and I, and over time I did find other young people. And I found, so my very first summer in recovery, when I was, this was 1989, I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I started playing softball on a sober softball league and they played and I hate softball and I'm terrible. (laughs) I like, I, I like being active and I like sports, but softball is not my sport, but you know, it was something to do on Friday nights. And so I joined the Sober Softball League and it was so fun. I mean, (laughs) it was just, I think I just got really lucky with like this really fun group of people. We would go out to eat afterwards and I had a great summer and I made it through every Friday night without having to grapple with my mind and, and decide like, should I drink? Should I not? You know, I, I would go and play softball and have, have fun. And Mm -hmm. it literally, you know, saved my life. It like kept me sober that, that first summer. So once I found that group, it, here's the analogy is, Mm -hmm. you know, that the artist, um, MC Escher, it's like these kind of black and white graphic looking images and I, yeah. I remember the first time I saw one, it was like a poster of like a big print of an MC Escher design. And you look at it mm-hmm. and if you focus on it for long enough or look in a certain place, the image will like jump into something, something else, like a new image emerges. Mm-hmm. And once your brain kind of kind of jumps to that new image it's hard to even go back to what it was like before and that was what my experience with the recovery community was like it was like I didn't know where to look I didn't know where to find Mm -hmm. it but once once I found it a little bit like this whole world opened up for me and that is what recovery community organizations can do for for people Mm -hmm. I think that you know a lot of times people feel very alone in their drinking and using and, you know, initiating recovery, like first making your way into recovery is difficult. And uh, if recovery community organizations can make all these different dimensions of recovery and all the resources that are out there visible and accessible to people, and it just, it, it opens up a whole new world for not only for individuals, but also for families, mm-hmm. um, you know, people and advocates and allies and people, you know, who, who are seeking support for, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So th- I think that's why I love recovery community organizations so much is because I had my own personal experience of like feeling like I just, you know, I just didn't know what was going to become of me. And then I I ended up having this experience in recovery that was really quite amazing. And mm-hmm. I was surrounded by recovery. So, yeah. 
I love your metaphor. I think it works or analogy. The thing that I keep coming back to in these podcast episodes and talking to people in recovery is for me, the common theme is that living in recovery is an example of just humans living their best life, whether or not you struggle with um, substance use or, you know, anything else in this life. And, you know, it's just human to be designed for community. And, you know, that's what RCOs offer. They offer people a community of those with lived experience and those with shared experience and having common goals and what human doesn't need that, you know, regardless of this, the context. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to say another thing that I love so much about recovery community organizations and the recovery community in general is that it is so broad and mm-hmm. it's not limited to one particular pathway to recovery. Mm-hmm. It's not limited to, you know, it's not about just pathways to abstinence. It's really, mm-hmm. uh, it really is open. And yeah, we're all kind of, we're all recovering from something. And, mm-hmm. it, and also the fact that RCOs and the recovery community is inclusive of families, um, family members. For um, sure is, you know, it's such an important piece. And, you know, I was kind of brought up in my own recovery in, in a, um, in a 12 step program, and I'm still a member of that program. And it's, mm-hmm. I get a lot out of it. It's, you know, 20, yeah. 23 and a half years later, I still <laughs> go to a meeting every week. And I, I've really come to live by the sort of the phrase of take what you like and leave the rest because there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot about the particular program that I'm in that, that works for me. Not every aspect mm-hmm. of it, it really applies. It works for me, but there's a lot, mm-hmm. you know, I just kind of try to hang on to what, what is working. And mm-hmm. so I've hung in there with it and I just, I benefit every week. I hear something that, you know, opens me up a little bit or something that I just needed to hear. It makes me feel mm-hmm. better. It makes me feel connected Um, Mm -hmm. I've stayed, I've stayed with it. I've also layered my own recovery with my recovery process with exercise and fitness and, you know, and other things. Um, Mm -hmm. but really my foundation is this, this 12 step program, but, but I'm also believer in, in the fact that, you know, AA doesn't work for everyone. NA doesn't work for everyone. Smart recovery Mm -hmm. doesn't work for everyone. Celebrate recovery Mm -hmm. isn't you know, for everyone and for people to be able to choose their own, their own pathway and to still have a place in the recovery community is just like, it just like (laughs) blew my mind after years of being, I didn't start working for Minnesota recovery connection until I was 12 years sober. And Mm -hmm. in those first months and years of working for Minnesota recovery connection, I was trained by, Faces and Voices of Recovery took me through a messaging training where mm-hmm. they taught me how to talk about my own recovery without violating anonymity principles that are so vital to mm-hmm. 12-step programs. And I didn't even know that you could do that. I didn't <laughs> know that, you know, I didn't know that there was any other pathways really to, to mm-hmm. recovery. And it just has been so 
empowering to me. It's hard to even explain it, but just, you know, yeah, I think it's that inclusivity of recovery community organizations that's so powerful. And, and it has allowed me to really, you know, hang on to my own place in the 12 step program that I started in. It works. It's just, it's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. You said the word empowered and I I immediately think of Hanir, who's also on our steering committee and he speaks about the strengths based approach um, that is so vital to this field, right? That you meet people where you're at. And I, I think honoring that multiple pathways and allowing people to discover and define their recovery for themselves, it, it is empowering and it honors that personhood and it honors um, our need as humans to be autonomous and have agency over our own lives. And I mean, that that's just truth, right? Yeah, it's so important. So this is jumping back a little bit to your story, but 19 is so young now. How did that transition look for you in your story from active addiction into recovery? Yeah, I was young. I and you know, it was hard. I mean, I so I started using as a as a young teenager like a lot mm-hmm. of us do. I was, you know, f- 14 or 15 at the time of my first drink my first use mm-hmm. I was um, using a lot in my you know 16 17 18 19 and uh, I had two treatments in one year at, at 19 and you know in a lot of ways I was very lucky to have have access to to recovery uh, at that young age I've over the years I've heard people it's kind of hard to believe it's like I feel like <laughs> treatment is so mainstream kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone knows what a recovery community organization is, but right. most people know about AA or treatment. I grew up with a, a family member who was in AA. And so mm-hmm. I was very, I was aware of um, addiction in my family and, the possible, the hope for recovery, I guess I wouldn't have articulated it that way. I don't think at 19, but I I did have this awareness that there was a way out because I had watched a family member find their way out. And when I was 19, I was actually working in a bank in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I just, I, I had a, a, a day where I just couldn't take it anymore. I had, I kind of had, you know, a bit of a meltdown and I went to my Mm -hmm. human resources department and I told Mm -hmm. this stranger in my (laughs) human resources department that I, I said, I think I need to go to treatment and they helped me get into treatment. I had insurance. I was employed. I, you know, I, it's kind of remarkable that, that, I sort of forget about that sometimes that, yeah, my, my human resources department and my employer was involved in that, in that process. But, um, but they were, but I didn't, I also, you know, I had a hard time in treatment. I didn't like being in treatment. I was really kind of in that place where, oh, I had sort of one foot in and one foot out. I wanted to, I wanted my life to get better, but I didn't really want to quit drinking and using, Mm -hmm. um, so I had two treatments in one year and 
I don't know. I, I, like I said, like, I think that I, I just so much of my experience in that first year had to do with that sober softball league and finding <laughs> something to do on Friday nights yeah. in the summertime. And, you know, the social support that I found that was, that was really huge for me. And it just, you know, it kept me, that was kind of the stickiness, the the glue for me. It was so important for me, me to be able to find friends and to have fun. And, you know, was I working a really great recovery program? You know, no, probably not. <laughs> but I was playing softball on Friday nights and going out to yeah. eat and I was staying sober. And I, you know, I, I stayed sober for three years, uh, nice. like 19, 20, 21 into into being about 22 and I life got just immeasurably better for me in those three years I was living at home in St. Paul living with my mom and I had a great relationship with my mom and I worked in a local coffee shop and I was taking classes at the local community college and kind of running around with all these new friends and I, you know, I woke up mm-hmm. in recovery. So I took like, I love school and mm-hmm. I, and it, that was something that I lost in my, in my use because I was using heavily as a, you know, when I was in high school. And so school kind of went to the, to the wayside, but I do, I remember before I started using, like when I was in elementary school and junior high, I loved school. I loved reading. I, I loved my teachers, you know, mm-hmm. not all of them, but a lot of them. And I just completely lost that during high school while I was using, and I got back to it in, in recovery. And I took every class I could take practically at the community college. I got all, I took all my general credits and got the associate's degree Mm -hmm. and then wanted to transfer to a four-year school. So I I transferred to Western Washington University, which is in Bellingham, Washington. It's about 90 miles north of Seattle, 60 miles south of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful kind of college town. It's right Mm -hmm. on the Puget Sound and it's surrounded Mm -hmm. by mountains and it's just green and lush. And my parents had bought, bought me this little used Honda Civic and I drove Mm -hmm. it from St. Paul to Bellingham (laughs) to go to school. And I was 22 years old. And I remember thinking like, I just was so excited. You know, I was like, I made it like, I'm just, Mm -hmm going to be a normal college kid. And I remember driving into Bellingham on this kind of windy road and it was so beautiful. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to start over like late. I'm just, you know, I kind of didn't want to be like the weird one who had been through treatment (laughs) or who was sober. I wanted to have like what I thought would be like a normal college experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I, mm-hmm. I, I never, I, I was sort of like living this double life a little bit. I, I made, I had this whole new experience in Bellingham at Western 
where I was, you know, I was just totally immersed in school. I was a full-time student for two years. I had a great experience there. I was in the English department. Um, I loved it. I was mm-hmm. a very strong student. I studied abroad in Greece one semester. Ooh, nice. And I, I drank some, you know, I kind of, mm-hmm. I had sort of a period of managing my drinking, mm-hmm. but it eventually sort of unraveled for me. It didn't last. As mm. soon as I graduated and moved back to St. Paul, I was right back where I was. I drank for three more years and things got infinitely worse. And I I think that I always thought, sorry, I didn't intend to get like all totally into my recovery story, but I'll just keep going. No, I love it. And that's why we're doing this as much oh, as good. you want to share. I I think that I always sort of thought in the back of my mind, like, well, you know, if things get bad again, I'll just, I'll just go back to AA. I'll just get back into recovery. And mm-hmm. it didn't really work that way for me. It wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't easy. Uh, and I kind of almost didn't make it, I think, like, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I tried that, like things did start to get bad. And I went back to AA, but I didn't, it didn't like, it didn't work for a while. It didn't, I wasn't rooted. So I went through a period of about a year of like going in and out of AA and, you know, mm-hmm. going to AA and then drinking and going back and then drinking more, you know, drinking again. And I just, and that experience was terrifying because I thought, mm. oh my gosh, my safety net, which is AA is not working for me. Like I'm going to AA and I'm not, it's not keeping me sober. I'm not, right. you know, it's not working, but I did, I did keep, I kept going back. I would go to this on Wednesday nights at six o'clock. There was an Alano club near my house. And on Wednesday nights at six o'clock that I would go to this back porch meeting. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going back to that meeting every week. And no matter if I drank that week or on the weekend or not, I just kept mm-hmm. And I was, I think that I was just kind of that desperate and it was terrible. I would cry and cry, you know, every week. I was just like, I would be like shaking in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, Shannon, I just eventually, like, I can't point to the day that it happened or the moment that it happened. I eventually took my last drink uh, on December 27th, 1997. And my last drink was one glass of wine. And it was an attempt to like that whole time that I was doing that, I was also kind of trying to prove that I could control my drinking and manage my drinking. And, and every once in a while I would have one glass of wine or, you know, yeah. and I'd be like, look at me, <laughs> you know, like I'm having one glass of wine with dinner. I'm such a responsible drinker. I'm such a normal <laughs> adult, mm-hmm. but you know, I couldn't really predict when I was going to be able to control it and when I wasn't going to be able to control it. And mm-hmm. my last my last drink was one glass of wine on December 27th, 1997. And I, I went to that back porch meeting every Wednesday night for five years. And I I became I became really rooted in recovery. Yeah. And I've I've stayed with it. And of course my you know my whole world is like like professionally and personally, like my experience in recovery, my 
my attitudes and beliefs around recovery have just expanded exponentially since, you know, that, since that time in the late Mm -hmm. 90s, both in the early 90s when I was first in recovery and then in the late Mm -hmm. 90s when I luckily, thank God, made my way back. And it's been incredible. It's what a, what a life I've had. Yeah. What do you think? And I know you said you can't really point to the moment or the single thing, but if you, I don't know, could have a thought experiment or just think through it, what do you think kept bringing you back to that back porch meeting, even through the the fear? You know, I think that, you know, somewhere inside me, there was, I carried hope for recovery, I guess. I don't know how Mm -hmm. else to say it. Like, I remember feeling really terrified and kind of split, like, you know, so I had had this experience of recovery early on. So when I was, you know, 20, 21, 22, 19, where it was working, I was, you know, I mean, that's significant. I stayed sober for three years as a, that's huge. Yeah. As a young person. And, and so partly like I was holding on to like, what is like, why is, why is this not working this time when it worked for me before? And also Mm -hmm. Having had that early experience in recovery and in AA, I met hundreds of people, thousands maybe, mm-hmm. so many people who were sober, and I, and I knew that that people could do it. You know that it was possible. That it was possible to have a good life without drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and. Uh, I'd had my own personal experience with it. I'd watched other people do it. But that second time around when I was struggling so much and kind of going in and out, and I was also struggling with this thought that like, maybe it works for like millions of other people, but it's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that was like a little bit of a, a whisper and it was it was almost like an angel and the and a devil on my shoulder. Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. like you know, a little voice saying, like, you're not gonna make it. Mm. And then at the same time, this part of me that was sort of telling myself to like just hang in there. You can, you know, why not you? You can have this too. And I don't know what I, you know, I just kept. I I just kept going back to that meeting. I think it was partly also the people that were in that particular meeting on the back porch at 6 p.m. on Wednesday nights at Uptown Club in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was a group of about, it wasn't a huge group. It was maybe 20 people. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of really long-term sobriety. It was a lot of happy, happy people kind of who they were, they were really thriving in their recovery and very consistent. It was that I wasn't, it wasn't like a young person's group where there was a lot Mm -hmm. of social activity. I mean, we would go out to this Chinese restaurant every week after the grand Shanghai, we would go to (laughs) after the meeting, which was a big part of it. And I just really, I just trusted them that, you know, I would come in and I would literally be like trembling and crying. Mm -hmm. And, and they just, I remember this guy, Ron, he just, and, you know, just a whole bunch of people from, from that meeting, but they just were so jovial and happy and the, consistent. Like they were all like, they would just go to that 
meeting every week for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And they just took me in. They just completely opened their arms and took me in and made it possible for me to just keep keep coming back, as they say. And that's what I did. And eventually, you know, eventually put a little time together. And I, things started to get better. I started to, like, you know, lean more towards I can do this, too. Mm-hmm. And I can have this life and I want this life in recovery. Yeah. It's better for me. It's a better it's a, it's a better place. And mm-hmm. yeah, thank God. Yeah. Good God. I can't imagine had I kept, you know, had I, had I kept using what would have happened. So grateful for my journey. Me too. For yours mm-hmm. and mine. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, thank you so much for sharing and, being willing to be open and vulnerable and share your story. I, you know, it's a privilege to hear people's stories. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. I agree. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about recovery and I just find so hopeful and empowering and just, you know, over the years hearing other people's stories of recovery, it's just mm-hmm. so, so cool. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit of my story with you. Yeah. Well, now, before I uh, sign us off here, if there was one thing you'd want listeners to hear or to take away from today's conversation, could you name just one? Michael kind of threw us off and and said no. (laughs) So feel free to play around with the question. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to sort of sum things up in one word, but the word that comes to me is yes. Just Mm. like, you know, the answer is yes. Like that encompasses hope for me and for everyone. And, um, you know, recovery is, it's not equally accessible to everyone, unfortunately, but it is, it is for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Ugh, there's just there is there is hope for anyone and yes to all of it thank you for connecting with us listeners our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources for the field of peer recovery please join us again next month on recovery talk you can find our episodes on our website peerrecoverynow.org That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever else you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.